All right, Josh Smith here again. We're live at Flat Five, my studio, and uh, my guest today is literally, truly one of my heroes, and I, I can't say that about everybody, but I've been listening to this dude since I was this tall, um, and the fact that he's my bro now, it means a lot. He's, he's a true hero, everybody, and he's from the great state of Connecticut, which mm-hmm. is where I was born, so everybody, welcome Blues Saraceno. Blues, dude, I love you, man, and thank you for doing this. Oh, yeah. Hey, I appreciate you. Honestly, I appreciate you thinking of me. So so I've been obviously like I think anybody in the in the current uh, digital world, everybody's been keeping an eye on, on the Josh Smith. And it's been very interesting. I think my perspective is a little different because we've known each other for, for a hot minute there. And it's interesting to see you really kind of come into your own, not only come into your own, but leave the pack. And I think that's an it's it's, a, it's an interesting uh it's an interesting arc. You don't see it very often, to be honest with you. It's very rare that you see that. You know, it's kind of like when a band blows up. You're like, oh, I remember those guys. I used to carry their gear or whatever, you know. And so <laughs> it's been, uh, it's been, it's been, you know, it's, I, I personally, I, I like to see people do well. So I'm always kind of, I'm always kind of rooting. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, let's do this. And it's, it's interesting to see you uh, kind of like walk. It's, it's interesting. Like we're kind of walking, we've kind of walked a lot of the same paths, which I think is probably why our friendship is what it is. Cause there's based on a mutual respect. And, and it's interesting. There's very few people that kind of get to look at it from that aspect. So seeing you go through it and really kind of find your, your, your niche there is, is, it's, it's, you know, I'm proud, dude. What can I say? It's awesome. Thanks man. That's nice of you to say. So dude, obviously I heard about you for the first time in guitar for the practicing I bought Don't Look Back, uh, and but then Plaid changed my life. I know that sounds silly, but it really did, you know. And and I'm just curious for the, for the people who don't know you, let's give them a, a little bit of background. You're from Connecticut. You've been playing, you know, since you were a, a young kid. Your dad's a musician. Uh, you know, you come from a, a background that he encouraged you. Um, you know, how did it start? Who put? He, obviously, he put the guitar in your hand for the first time. But what was like? You know, the thing that really just got the ball rolling for you? Uh, I mean, I think it's it's a multitude. In short, it was always around. Like so, in essence, there's pictures of me as a kid sleeping in the kick drum during band practice because <laughs> it was just, it was just my parents were like these, you know, kind of kind of hippie, but kind of kind of like hippie version 2.0. My mom, believe it or not, was actually a drummer. And if you want to hear the craziest story, I had. You know, I had seen my mom play drums and forgot it. And I remember one at one point I was, we were, you know, at our house with my friends, we were hanging out and my mom comes home with the, the big old holy Cadillac and she bought it from a priest. It was a blue Cadillac. And so we're, she's like, go help me get the groceries out. And so me and my friends, we get it. And there was a double kick slingerland. It looked like a Gene Krupa type kit that was in the front, it was just in our living room. And my friends were getting on it and playing it and, you know, dooch, dooch. and it was like, we're like, oh, that's so cool. And then my mom's like, you guys are making noise. Get out of here. You don't know what you're doing. And so she goes to shoo us away, but instead she picks up the sticks and she starts like obliterating the kit. And we're just like, oh, snap. You know what I mean? So it was stuff like that that I kind of grew up around. But ultimately around nine, I think I just started picking up the guitar because my dad played. And uh, once it took hold, it just, it was a comfort thing. I just liked it. I enjoyed it and it seemed to, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it made sense per se because it still doesn't make sense to me, but uh, it, it was just a comfort thing. I kind of liked it and so I just stuck with it and from and it was funny from about, I started playing when I was around nine, when I was about 13, it was kind of locked in. That was the sound 
And then from there, it was just really more technique. And then whoever was popular at the time would, would influence it. Obviously, if it was yeah. like a Van Halen or, you know, then you'd go that route. Or then when, when Ingve Malmsteen came out, everything was, you know, we were all doing the arpeggios and yeah. the two-handed tapping. But for the most part, uh, from about 13 on, it's just kind of set. It was like cement. Once it's sent, that was it. It was a deal. Well, I mean, so that was a question. So obviously we know what kind of music your dad like. We know what your first name is, yeah. um, you know. So f was that what you were hearing in the house most of the time before you started playing even? Uh, it was I interesting. So the, the backstory to that was very simple. My dad, uh, he was, he did carpet, you know, flooring and, and tile. And you know, we were just, we were a blue cat, we were blue collar household. That's kind of the deal. I was, you know, I'd work them during the summers and that's kind of where it was going. But my dad, uh, I, he would listen. He had a crazy record collection. We would listen for everything from Minnie Ripperton to like Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind. <laughs> so like, you know, I'd literally be like, you know, it'd be summertime because there was no school. Also, click it, 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 click all, you know, all the, all the blue stuff that was the, the, like, you know, like James Cotton, hundred percent cotton. Like that was my version oh, of the yeah. blues. I never, I never got once a hit blues version 2.0, that was harder for me to, to kind of absorb because I just got so used to the, you know, to the, to the, to the raw context. So when, when they slicked it up, um, it was, it was different for me. Like, like, for example, there's the blues brothers movie, which I thought really had a charm. Then there was the blues brothers 2000. And I was like that, no, maybe that's a hard pass for me, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Pat Travers, uh, deep purple, a lot of rock stuff, but also a lot of, um, there was also a lot of, uh, my mom played a little bit of the boogie woogie piano. So it was always that stuff and, uh, just kind of everything. And so that, uh, which interestingly enough, I mean, obviously anyone that's watching this, you know, is probably more uh, aware of me as a, as a guitarist. But the crazy part is I never really thought of myself as a guitarist. I was always just a musician. And honestly, when I was 15, I got a chance to make a guitar record and I was living in my parents' garage next to a coal bin, you know, and uh, which was great. I had my own. It was a great setup. But it was just a chance. It was a way out. So I just took whatever door opened and ran through it. So I don't even really, you know. I think the guitar was the thing I was the most unique on. And, and, and I think uh, probably it's probably my, my best skill set is on the guitar, but I, I honestly feel personally my strongest overview, which is harder to quantify is, is as a musician. And that's kind of the interesting. And I think that came from maybe the earlier <sighs> listening to all that music in the morning. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So you said you're 15 and you get a chance to make a guitar record. I don't yep. know this story. So how did, how did that come about the guitar for the practicing and all that stuff? How did oh that yeah. Get, I mean, I've told them so many times and I'm so long winded. I just, I just, I hesitate to even tell people any story because I've just, they've all been around, but in short, so here's what ends up happening. I am, you have to realize, so first of all, I, I, which was huge, and I know this because I met, I'm even I, when I met your parents at Norm's there, you know, it's like I'm talking to your parents, I spent like five, 10 minutes, and I knew instantly, the second I was talking to them, I get it, they were behind you a thousand percent, and that is, yeah. it really makes a huge difference. I'm not saying it's everything, but it was huge, and I knew just that's why the second I started talking to your mom and dad, I was like, oh, I get it, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? So the deal was this. Uh, I knew instantly music was going to be my thing. I wanted out of school. I was terrible at school. I failed out of everything. I was horrible. And it wasn't that I wasn't bright. 
not that I'm that bright in general, but I, I just, the school thing was so bad because of just my lack of interest in it. Honestly, I just, I wanted out of it that every fiber of my DNA did not want to be there. And I knew it. So I knew music was going to be my thing. So in short, what happened was my dad played music. They'd let me get up and jam with him when I was young. I'd get up and do Johnny Be Good, you know, and when I was small, I was really small. So you got this, you know, you got this little kid and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, people are like, holy smokes, you know? And so it was a big deal, you know? And so it went over well, it was novelty for a minute, you know, cause I was little, then I grew up and I wasn't so little. And then you had to really earn it at that point. But yeah. so what ends up happening in short was this, uh, I was, I had a problem. I had a very hard time finding people to play with because I latched onto it early. So like I said, by the time I was 13, it was, it was, I was good to go at that point. I, you know, the problem is I couldn't get anybody at my age that had locked onto it that early. So I was forced to play with people that were much older. And the dilemma there was, listen, if you're, you know, you're playing in a bar band, I'm not even legal enough to be in there. You know, I'd go, I'd, I'd, I'd have my parents call up and, you know, I'd have my dad answer the ad in the paper and then I'd show up. You know, and the second I walked in the door, it was dust. I, it was curtains. You know, I'd play and they'd be like, all right, cool. And then finally, they were just like, listen, we can't have a kid in our band, you know. So I really had a challenge uh, finding people my age. They just didn't lock on as, at that point. You know, they were doing, you know, maybe a, some Motley Crue tune or something like that. And I'm like, right. geez, this isn't going to cut it. So I ended up working. I, the, the long and short of it was this. My dad, and it's not really that short, sorry. But my dad was always kind of really behind my career and he knew I had an interest. So he was doing carpeting for the store called creative strings in, in uh, Newington, Connecticut, I think it was. Or So he got me a job there once a week. The guy did not want to hire me, but he, you know, he wanted the deal from my dad. So, and my dad had done so much work there and had bought so much stuff. He's like, just hire my kid. He goes, I don't care if you pay him. Just, I want him to be around it. I want him to soak it in, you know? So I would drive my bike like 40 minutes each day. And, you know, I, I think I made five bucks a day or something like that. And I was, grateful for it but anyways i during that whole time i saved up my money and i bought a four track because i couldn't find anybody to play with so i would just sit at home you know and i would just you know like that's on track one and track two you know know, i put all that stuff and i start building these tracks because i couldn't find anybody to play with so i started making my own little virtual band you know i'd sit there and that's how i kind of became a multi-instrumentalist because i would just uh pick up the instruments and get it done. So I started working with this. I found this one drummer, this guy named Tom Pulse. He was a great drummer. I think he was from, I think he was from Newington. I'm sorry if I'm getting the, he was a great player. He was a jazz guy. Uh, so we didn't, we didn't agree. I was never a jazz. I was, I was more a rock guy, but in essence we were playing together. And so what I started doing was I would just record it and start making tunes. So I needed to get, so here's how I got the record deal. I, when I was 15, I worked at this place, Creative Strings. The problem was I was very common fair there. I was just the kid that showed up and swept the floor. So everybody just thought of me as the kid that swept the floor. My dad brought me over to another music store, this guy named Brian, it was Brian's Guitars in, uh, in uh, I wanna say New Haven. And he walked in and he says, hey, you should hear my kid play. And of course guy's like, yep, yep, whatever. Everybody's got a good kid. So I came in one day and I just, he didn't know who was playing. It was a bunch of, there was a bunch of people standing there and I just started playing and he comes out from behind the booth. He goes, who's that? And my dad's like, that's my kid. I was telling you about And he's like, oh man, that guy, this kid can play. So what he ended up doing was he says, listen, I really think you got something there. Now keep in mind, let's, let me give you perspective. 
guitar is hot right now. Guitar is hot at this time. It's not like it is now. It's like, you know, it's like when karate was big, everybody had their dojo, you know? And so, you know, at the moment, like, you know, remember when rollerblading was hot, you know what I mean? Like it, everything has its yeah. moment right now. Guitar was just in vogue, you know? So, uh, I go to that place and he, it's this guy goes, he goes, listen, I, I do so much business with this company called Ibanez Guitars that I want to, I want to tell you, I, I want to tell them about you because, you know, you're, you're young and you kind of got a fresh sound. So that would be good. So I ended up flying myself out to a NAMM show. It cost me like 450 bucks or whatever it was. And the boss, the, the first store I was staying at, Creative Strings, the guy says, listen, you can crash with me so you don't have to pay for the hotel, but you got to get yourself out here. I'll even get you a pass. And I was like, awesome. So I flew myself out, 450 bucks, which I borrowed from my parents. And I stayed there. And what, it was my first time at an AM show when I was 15. And so it went like this. It was Friday. It goes Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But I came out on a Friday. And I had an appointment at, uh, with this guy named Rich Lasner at Ibanez on Sunday. And so it went like this. So, of course, I got two days to kill. So I go to an AM show. And I was, keep in mind, I was little. You know what I mean? So I'd go in the booth and I'd start playing. And people were like, you know people would gather around. So it was like, they were loving it. So they're like, dude, come back to the booth. And so I realized after about two hours of this, I would just go from booth to booth playing and people would stop. And it was like this big deal, but I realized I'm just filling their booth. I'm not walking out with anything, you know? <laughs> so after about a day or two, I was a little disheartened. I was like, Oh man, I can't believe I blew all that money. And we didn't have any money. I mean, dude, that was like, that was like robbing the coffee can style to get out there. But on Sunday, the last day I went to the, I went to the, uh, I went to go meet Rich and I was nervous. So I didn't bring a pick. So I was just, you know, when I played, it was like, I just was doing all that, you know, all the stuff with my fingers because I just forgot a pick. Now keep in mind, this is when it's all, you know, everybody's doing the two handed stuff, you know, and they got the hair. And so I'm the fool that shows up with no pick doing all this chicken picking stuff, which I just, you know, panicked because I didn't have a pick and he loved it. He was like, man, that's, Finally, Jesus Christ, I've been listening to everybody goof around this whole show. Finally, somebody shows up and it's different. And he says, he goes, and so I said, well, hey, you know, I, I would love, uh, I'd love to get, you know, I'd love to get an endorsement from you guys. And that's when I started realizing the business end. And what they said was, Rich was a really nice guy, he was real honest with me. He says, here's the deal. He says, you don't really have enough for me to give you an endorsement right now. You know, endorsement works both ways. You need visibility. Once you get visibility, then you're using our product and then it makes sense. I can justify sending you a guitar or whatever if you have a deal. So I didn't have a deal then. So, but he says, I'll tell you what, he goes, I really like the way you play. So I'm going to send you a guitar. He goes, do me a favor. He go, and I said, Hey, I'll make you, I came up to him and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you like a demo tape. I'll demonstrate the guitar and you can send it away. You can send it around to your different dealers. And he's like, dude, that would work. So, you know, I kind of took the initiative a little bit and I kind of gave him something to work with. And so about a week later, an RG 550, a white one showed up kind of like just their base model, you know? And let me tell you, that was like fucking Christmas, man. That was like when you, you know how it is when you get the new guitar. Yeah. I was like, so, uh, so what I ended up doing was I took my, this guy, Tom Pulsey, I went in my garage. I used a Clarion at the time. It was, it was pre Tascam. I did a Clarion four track and I made a song and I just demonstrated, man, I was swinging for the fences on that thing, you know? And uh, I sent it to him and I get a call about a day later. He's like, dude, that's great. He goes, that, he goes, I can send this to some of my dealers. This is going to, he goes, do me a favor. Can you make another one? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. You know? And I'm thinking this is great. You know? So I do a second song, you know, and I'm now keep in mind, I'm putting a lot of work into these by the second song. Yeah, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like, man, I kind of feel like, man, 
whew, this is turning into a thing. And so I sent him the second song and he likes it better than the first one. And I'm like, awesome. So he says, hey, can you do a third song? At this point, I'm kind of like, man, I kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of earning this free guitar here, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? So I do the three songs and, and they kind of, they, they start circulating. And so the, the part that you asked me the eight hours ago was that those three <laughs> songs ended up circulating kind of throughout the industry. And this guy named Steve Blucher over at DiMarzio heard the tape because I was using the, his product, you know, the guy Rich at Ibanez sent it to Steve, Steve heard it. And Steve told this guy, John Sticks over at Guitar for the Practicing Musician and unbeknownst to me, they, because they were really a publishing company, they owned, they were Cherry Lane Music. So right. what would happen is this is when Tablature came out, you know, and that was for guys like me that don't read, you know, I was too, way too lazy and un, un farsighted to see that I should have put some time into that department. And so, but I could learn Sweet Child of Mine with the Tablature. So I was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? We're good. And so that magazine was really popular. And so what ends up happening was I didn't realize it, but they had spent a year trying to find somebody to launch their, they were going to do a little, um, little guitar label because they figured, Hey, we have 150,000. This was pre Instagram kids. Mm -hmm. So this was the Instagram of its time. And so what happened was um, they were looking to launch somebody. They were real nervous. They didn't want to put the first guy out and have it be soft. You know, they were like, man, this is kind of our thing. So I sent the tape and I was either going to work with Michael Bolton or I was going to do a guitar record. And I said, fuck it, I'm going to work with Michael Bolton. That guy's famous, you know. And so I go to work with Michael Bolton, but my car broke down on the way to the session. And he called my manager and says, if your kid can't get here on time, I don't want to work with them. So that was my Michael Bolton story. But he was really, he was actually, actually a really nice guy. And I kind of I get where he was coming from. So at that point, I was like, well, that guitar record's looking pretty good. <laughs> so I sent the guitar record. John Sticks called me up and says, hey, uh, I'm at this guitar magazine. I heard there's a tape. Can you send me the tape? So I FedEx it to him. I think it got there around like 10 o'clock or something like that. Cause I paid for early delivery. I was so desperate to get out of Connecticut and uh, I get a call like at 11 o'clock and he's like, uh, he goes, Hey, uh, I really like the tape. He goes, the problem is, uh, is that really you playing? And I said, yeah, no, it's me playing. You know, he says, all right, I'll tell you what he says, get your manager and get in the car. And I, you know, I didn't really have a manager at the time. And yeah. He says, come down here. He says, if you play for us and it's really you playing, he goes, I'll offer you a record deal. So I called up Brian from Brian's Guitars and I told him the story. And he's like, all right. And he hops in the car and he goes down with me and I played for him and they offered me a record deal. <laughs> and we did a one record deal. And that one record turned into two, turned into three. And that's kind of how I started off. So I got in through the music, uh, uh, the, the kind of like the music, music instrument version. That's how I got into the music industry, the music business. Yeah. So there you go. It's crazy, man. I, I mean, I remember, obviously I'm younger than you, not by much, but when when that record came out and then the, the, then the next one and the next one it was a big deal to me because you stood so apart from everybody else that was in that so like you said guitar was hot guitar was everywhere so it i'm looking at shrapnel and i'm looking at guitar for the practicing label and i'm looking you know i i got every magazine i could and when i heard you it was just this different thing like i was finally somebody that was like cool for me to listen to around my friends who were shredder guys you know and it, but yeah. i could still actually like it because the yeah. feel man your feel and your tone and you're playing in the tunes i could relate more to where you were coming from so it was so big for me to find somebody like that 
Yeah, you know, I, it's funny. You're, you're, I hear that. That's kind of what I hear. As time, like you always kind of want to put the stuff out that kind of stands the test of time. It's funny. I couldn't get signed by Mike Varney. I sent so my point is, it wasn't, it wasn't that I didn't want to sign Shrapnel. They wouldn't sign me. Like I sent my tape. I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't flashy enough, man. I didn't have the I didn't, you know. So it's funny how everything, that, now that I've, you know, those records, I mean, I'm 48 now. So think about that. And I was 15. Right. And the crazy part is the first three songs of that demo tape that I did, okay, the, those three songs that I told you I went back and I recorded with the guitar, yeah. the guy, John Sticks, heard, he goes, those are going to be the first three songs on the record. And I was like, really? And he's <laughs> like, yep. So the first three songs on the record were literally those songs on the tape. I don't remember if it was the same order, but I do remember that the demo was much better than the record because, <laughs> you know, I, I was used to doing it at home and I just had never made a record before. So having to be in the studio it was like a stress test and you start realizing where you're failing. You know what I mean? So, uh, but yeah, so, you know, it was, like I said, it's, it's, and I know like you and I, we talk about stuff like that. Like you see people that just like launch past you career wise sometimes and you're like, God, geez, man, how, you know, but long-term is that really the move, you know? And so it's hard because at the time it's frustrating and you're going, I don't get it. But then you look back 20 years and they're working at Home Depot and you still got a career. You know what I mean? So, right, right, right. you know, it's, 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 it's a, you know, it's interesting. So. Well, dudes. Okay. So then the records come out, you have success, you're all over the guitar magazines and people are making signature guitars and you know, you're doing clinics, you're doing this and that. And then you get these calls to do like some of these crazy gigs, right? Yeah. Uh, including, I mean, we can't not at least mention playing with Ginger Baker and Jack Bruce. Who who initially called you for that? Uh, oh man. I, okay, I, if if I recall, and honestly, I mean, my memory kind of just, I, I just, there's, it's been such a crazy ride. I mean, I got to be honest. Anybody that wants to get in the music industry, call me directly, and I will pretty much talk you out of it on the fly. Uh, <laughs> And it's been good. It depends. It depends who you are as a person. But for me, it's just been crazy. So I don't. Some of the things I kind of don't remember a hundred percent. But I believe, if I recall correctly, John Sticks, who was the gentleman that was was the was the head in chief of guitar for the practice musician, he also kind of like would co-produce the record with me. That was kind mm -hmm. of the deal. He's like, hey, I'll do it, but I want to kind of have my hands in it. Which was honestly, I liked John a lot. I really do. It was hard for me because I just had such a particular vision to have anybody alter that vision was honestly, I struggled with, you know, we would butt heads on stuff and I'm like, man, I just don't hear it that way. And, you know, you know, it was, it was a, you know, like I'll give you a perfect example. What do you do? Like when we wanted to make the record, I wanted to use the guy, Tom Pulsey. I really wanted to use him because we had a, you know, we, we actually kind of butted heads cause he was kind of more of a jazz guy. I was more of a rock guy. So we even would like butt heads artistically, you know, but, we had a vibe going and I remember, but I remember thinking he was a great, and he is, I mean, I'm sure you can look him up. I think he's a producer now. He, he's done very well. But um, I remember wanting to use him for the record. And I remember John saying, Hey, listen, we're going to use this other guy, uh, this guy, Joe Franco, who's phenomenal. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm actually grateful. I got to work with Joe because Joe's fucking outstanding. But the point is as a 15 year old kid, you want to kind of stick with your buddy. You know what I mean? That's, but his point was, he's saying, Hey, listen, your buddy doesn't have enough of a rep to sell me any copies. This other guy is a professional renowned drummer. We're going to go with him because he's got a rep, you know, and I got it like, but it's still, yeah, I had to go to his house. I had to go to my, this guy's house on Christmas Eve and say, Hey man, this isn't going to happen. That's a, that's a tough scenario to be in. So yeah, yeah, welcome yeah. to the music industry. But how I got the gig with Jack and Ginger was John sticks knew the management company with Jack Bruce. And so what was happening was I, I remember going to SIR, they were holding auditions in Manhattan. 
at SIR. And here it's the craziest, like totally like out of the, it's like a Quentin Tarantino out of the book story, but they were, they were auditioning everybody. All the top studio guys wanted that gig because I didn't realize kind of at the time how big it was. I was a, you know, I was like, you know, Van Halen guy or a Guns N' Roses guy or a, you know, I was kind of wanted to be of that moment. I was very of the minute and I wanted to be in a band with, you know, big hair and girls everywhere. It was going to be fun, yeah. you know, and, and I wanted to be in a band that had guitar as, as a forefront where I could really kind of do my thing because keep in mind, guitar is in vogue right now. And so I wanted to shine, you know, so uh, he, John calls me, says, Hey, listen, I've heard about this audition. He goes, it's, you know, they're doing, you know, it's closed auditions. They're hiring, they're bringing all these heavy hitters, but you know, he says, the guy knows me and I, I sent him a copy of the tape and they, they're willing to come listen to you. You know, I mean, you can get a spot. And I said, okay. And I was doing a photo shoot at the time I was with DeMarzio pickups and I was in, I want to say, uh, Long Island or Staten Island. I forget to be honest with you, wherever that, wherever the DiMarzio was at the time. And I was doing a photo shoot and I remember I had my hair, like I had it like mohawked up and I had like, you know, almost kind of like it was huge and it was like a blue mohawk. And I was doing this photo shoot for a catalog or something like that. And I get to call that day and they're like, okay, the auditions are going on now, but you got to get down there. So I had to cut the photo shoot short and I hop in my car, some crappy ass Dodge, you know, uh, who knows what it was. Some, you know, um, a Dodge Lancer, that's what it was. And so I drive into Manhattan. Of course, the day I drive in, the president's in town. So I get about maybe two blocks from SIR and it's gridlock. Like I'm locked and so I'm stressing out. I'm already like an hour and a half late. There's no cell phones. This is like horse and buggy <laughs> style, you know? And uh, I end up like, I think like two and a half hours late to this audition and everybody is over it. Like I should have, as a matter of fact, I think Michael Kaplan, the president of Epic was there because I think this was his baby. Jack was there and I didn't know any of the songs and I was late and I just like I was just showing up at that point out of courtesy just because I was already so late I had to show up at least to do it I walk in man I was I knew I was defeated the second I walked in I had my guitar I pulled out a gig bag and they had some crappy ass like JCM 800 like just enough gain to do rhythm but not enough to do leads you know like I was just I didn't have any pedals like it was just a bust and I so I figured fuck it you know I was pretty uh squirrely at the time like i definitely have gotten better as far as like working with people but at the time i was just like ah fuck it so i just walk over to the amp and i knew i was dust i mean it was curtains for me anyway so i just walk into the amp one cable plug into the thing literally roll my hand across the bottom everything on 10 hit a fucking chord i'm like let's did i just let's do this you know and as i jack freaked out because it was so like what he didn't expect. And he kind of like, I didn't not realize it at the time because I didn't know this guy. You know, it's like interviewing for a job and walking in there and going, yeah, go team, you know, yellow and realizing they fucking hate team yellow or whatever it is, you know. So I walk in there, I hit the chord. I'm just trying to get enough gain out of it so I can solo, you know. I got everything on 10. He kind of perks up. He kind of like starts playing. And all of a sudden I look back in the fucking amps on fire. I'm like, ah, shit, you know. It just, the tubes arced. And literally, like, out of Spinal Tap, it just literally started to smoke on command, you know? Like, it was just crazy. And then all of a sudden, it shorted. And then it, like, and then it just made this weird sound and just went completely dead. You know, and I'm banging on it, and there's still smoke coming out of it. And, and I'm just like, of course, this is dust, you know what I mean? And so they wheel another, you know, I'm just sitting there. And then it's, like, awkward for, like, a minute oh, yeah. and a half while they wheel another amp in there. And uh, they was bring another one. The guitar which players work- in the hall? like in chairs waiting for their turn. No, no, because no, because I was the last guy okay. because I was right. so late. Right. I was late. It was me. Cause that would have been even better if there were dudes sitting in the hall, <laughs> go up an amp and then they bring in another amp. That would have been great. Oh uh, yeah. No, it was, but it was like, you know, the victor, it just, it did a death rattle. It was out. 
And then, so I do the, you know, so the second one, I turned it up, but I didn't quite take it, turn everything on 10 because I was like, oh, that didn't go well. And at this point, I was nervous. I didn't know if they were going to make me pay for the amp or anything like that. I was like, because I had bombed it out, you know. And at this point, I just wanted to get out of there unscathed. It was such a bust. And they were, they were pissed. I know that the president from Epic wanted to go eat. He was like, let's, I could hear him like, okay, wrap it up. Like, you know. So anyways, uh, Jack just looks at me, he goes, do you know any of my songs? And I go, uh, I, go I, I, I got to be honest with you. I don't, you know, I said, I, I, I know my dad listens to it all the time. You know, I said, I just, I know him kind of by ear a little bit. And so he's like, fuck it. So we just end up jamming on, he just starts playing something and whatever it is. And then we just start jamming. It, ends, it ultimately turns into like a version of Crossroads. And, mm. you know, I threw what I had at it. And uh, I was there for maybe five, six, seven, eight minutes, not very long. And I just thanked everybody. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm sorry I was late. I, I really appreciate your time. And, and, and thank you for taking the time. And I just put my guitar in the back and I just fucking walk out of there because I was just, it was dust. And by the time I get home, I get a message on my machine. Hi, this is, uh, you know, such and so from Jack Bruce's management. Uh, Jack would like you to come back from Monday. Uh, and then they pause. And they, what, what? And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Learn the fucking tunes. And they hang up the phone. <laughs> you know? So... That was it. Went back, auditioned, and uh, on the spot, they gave me the gig on the spot. And then that turned into, that was going to be Jack Bruce. And then they brought in Ginger Baker. And the second they brought in Ginger Baker, that's when uh, the party started because um, the venues doubled in size. And I, I didn't realize the whole cream thing. And then because I was playing with Jack and Ginger, it became like a real big deal. Yeah. And then like Rolling Stones writing about it. And of course, they're always looking for an angle because they're trying to sell papers. So they're like, oh, and the kid that replaced Clapton. I mean, I didn't re- Clapton did not give a shit about this yeah. kid, trust me. But, you know, they, they were just making the story up and I sure wasn't going to deny it because it was working in my favor. So yeah, that's how it all kind of began. And from there, I, you know, I just kind of kept steamrolling, you know, because you have to realize like not to let the secrets out of the bag, but like, it's not any different than what everybody does with social media now. Like even like, you know, what, what happened was like, like you, everybody just would buy those. There was only three magazines and I was in one of them. Yeah. And so what I would do is I would do the endorsements. And so because of the endorsements, I would be in the magazine as much as Van Halen was, you know? Mm-hmm. So he's selling 250,000 units a week. I'm selling maybe 200, you know what I mean? But, but every month it was DiMarzio and Ibanez, then Yamaha. Yep. And- yeah, it was, yeah. you were in there multiple times. And then yep. a story. And then, yep. yeah, so oh, yeah. it was like, yeah, every month. Yeah, did you, did you catch the fact I was blackballed by the other two? No one <laughs> caught that, right? Cause, because I was tied in with uh, Cherry Lane. Yep. And they, they, they had a big magazine war going on. So the second I signed that deal, those other guitar player, which is really the one I kind of liked, the, was really like the one I of grew course. up reading. Yeah. And then Guitar World, and neither of them would touch me, man. I was dead to them, but it's just what it was, you know? Yeah. So that's that's how it all kind of began and from there it just kind of uh i just worked every angle i mean to be totally honest with you whatever door opened the widest that's the one i ran through that's it it's that simple yeah well you had the great playing though to to well, you know, along <laughs> i threw what i had at it that's for sure you know i, mean, I definitely uh I, I will say this anybody watching this uh that even remembers any of it none of it was was easy it was all hard fought for sure so uh I get the struggle. That's why I never quite got the ego or the, this is better than that. Because honestly, anybody that can just survive doing music is, is, is a win in, in my book. I mean, to be totally honest with you, that's just kind right. of the way I see it. 
you know? right this is a hard business you know and it's rough you, you have to really want to do it i mean it's the only reason we would do it is because we love it so much and it's it, we don't have a choice we have to yeah. do it i mean that was the deal i i either listen either i was going to do flooring in music or i was going to do music it was going to go one of the two ways and you know and, and you know but either way music was going to be in, in at least for a certain part of my life and now that i'm older i see things very much different and once music becomes commerce it changes it but maybe that's another podcast within itself because i've had right. to literally stick and move so many times just to survive and i've been exceptionally fortunate like to get into the tv and the film and the industry but once again that didn't come easy either and there's a lot of skills you need to be a mixer an engineer a songwriter i mean mm -hmm. we talk about it all the time right i mean you know it's like and, and here's the thing that i will say that you had i think that you got much earlier on i you know you sang that was epic i can't tell you I've had, even my, even that guy, Brian Cohen came to me and says, blues, just sing. I don't give a shit if it's good, bad. If you sing, I can market you. And, and my own ego just didn't want to do it because I felt I had something unique to offer as a guitar player and I did right. not as a vocalist. And I, I was looking at it all wrong. I should have done it differently. I, I, I regret that I didn't uh, start singing much earlier. Well, dude, but the point you make about the constant reimagining and reshuffling of the goals and what's, what's, really acceptable and how you make your living and where you want to end up you know like you said so for me as a kid i wanted i wanted to be like you or i wanted to be like stevie ray vaughn or i wanted sure. to be on a cover of a magazine and once a month and i wanted to be you know uh, this important guitar player blah 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 i didn't want to be a record producer or do sessions or do instruction or teach people to play guitar or anything like that now i really enjoy producing records i make probably it's getting to be more like six, seven records a year for people other than myself. And it's something I really like. But like this fucking Pro Tools behind me, I, you know, I didn't ever want to know how to be fast on Pro Tools or mic yeah. up a drum kit. And now <laughs> I enjoy it. Yeah. And it's like, like you said, you've had to pivot and find like now you do all this stuff for film and television. And, you know, you would you, you if you told your 15 year old self when all the shit was happening for you that you'd be where you are right now, you would never believed it. Never ever you know what i mean and, and the crazy part is is that you know like here's also the other side of the coin that i think a lot of people have to realize when you once you've done it like just like for example there's certain people like like i have friends that collect and they just they'll collect you know 18 versions of the same thing that's their thing then i have other friends that have one version of it you know so there's and, and both have equal merit to it i think you just have to decide who you are kind of as a person i'm the type of person and i figured this out early on if I sit down at the movie and I already know how it ends, I'm done. I'm out. I don't want to see that movie. You know, and so some people love to see the movie time and time again, and they find they love the repetition. So for me, um, just with my nature, it's like if I'm not instantly challenged or intrigued, I just zone out and my, my attention just goes south instantly. You know what I mean? So the funny part is, you know, once you've been on the magazines, once you've been to the show, once you see how the sausage is made, for me... I had done it. So to be honest with you, like, it's so funny. Like I talk to kids now that are coming up and they're doing this stuff and I see them and, I, and I'm excited for them. But at the same time, I've done it. Like, for example, the whole vintage world, like when I grew up, we couldn't afford the new stuff. So we got the junk, which was the vintage at the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many old strats I've dumped for 500 bucks because we needed it because I wanted to buy the bright red Kramer with the pointy headstock. Like, you know, yeah. so I see everybody now on Instagram and they're like, holy shit, this old vintage telly. And I get it. But I, at the time, did it when I was like 15, 16, 17, 18. And then also the fact that you have to factor that in with the fact that I didn't have the foresight to realize like it's, which is a pro and a con. Like, for example, I know with your skill set, like you can pick up 
I've seen you like I will, we'll, like we've been at the store. I've seen you pick up a guitar and you can basically take like, if you like, you'll take a big body jazz guitar and you'll play something that really is where that guitar shines. And you'll pick up a fucking telly and you're finger picking it. And you pick up a strat. Like, you know, at the time I didn't, and I still really don't really consider myself to have that skill set. I was the other way. I was more like, I'm going to bend this fucking thing to what I need it to do. Yeah, so yeah. I would almost like, reverse engineered. I kind of came more a little more from the Van Halen school, which is like, fuck it, stick a pickup in that thing. It's going to work, you know? And so the problem I had with a lot of the vintage gear back in the day was that, you know, fuck old strats were thin. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't keep them in tune. I'd bomb the whammy bar out. So, so for me, I didn't have the foresight if, you know, to realize, Hey, it's almost like that's a great German shepherd. Let it be a German shepherd. It'll never be a chihuahua. I kept trying to force it to be something it wasn't. So the downside was, man, I bombed through a bunch of guitars and I probably have a much bigger collection if I was smart enough to keep them. But the upside was that I developed kind of my own style, which I take pride in because even now with Instagram, you've got all these 60 second warriors and their technique is, I mean, I'll be the first one to say is phenomenal what kids can do these days. Girls, guys, everybody. I mean, it's brutal. The problem is, it's, it's a novelty to me. I don't, I don't want to listen to it. I mean, I just think yeah. it's, I mean, I, I fully be the first one to say I couldn't do that and, and I give them props for doing it. But at the end of the day, you know, I can't juggle either, but I don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I know just, exactly what you mean. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's a handful of people that you know that we both talk about that are phenomenal technicians and you and I do not care anything about that because that's not what music is it's that thing that hits you that moves your meter it's that stuff that i woke up listening to when my dad i was like oh shit and it can be mini ripperton or it can be dr dre it's not about that it's just that it's that unquantified it's that when you hear fucking johnny you guys listen to mini ripperton that much because that's twice you mentioned (laughs) no no it's just because i figured it's just such a it's such a sparse uh you know uh reference i figured who's you know but, or whoever it I was. I love Minnie Ripperton. Yeah, Joan Baez. It was all good. I mean, it was all, my dad had good ears, meaning whatever it was, he had an ability to find the, 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 the real good stuff. Like it wasn't the country now where it's like fucking, yeah. you know, all fucking gloss and glitter. It was the real deal country that was legit, you know, the cool, you know, when you've got all the cool guitar players playing those old tellies really banging on them hard, like, it, you know, or whatever. It was Doc Watson. Like my dad would play Doc Watson. Like I'd wake up That's listening awesome. to fucking... Yeah, I mean, you hear that guy play and you're like, after that, I start hearing other guys and I'm like, fuck these guys. Or I'd listen to Jimmy Smith on the B3. I love B3. B3 yeah. is the shit, dude. You know, yeah. it's incredible. I hear that guy play. It's like, I could listen to that shit for hours. As a matter of fact, I tried to hire him for my 30th birthday and we just, I just, <laughs> I just never wow. followed through on it. That'd be awesome. At a roller skating rink, I wanted to have Jimmy Smith play as I roller skate around on my 30th birthday. But Seriously? That's what I, I was going to do it, but then I just, I think I got a job and I, I just never did follow through. That would have been amazing. all right. Well, that's a good transition into our ten questions. So oh my the, god, you got more questions? Haven't I talked your ear off enough? Holy I got the shit. I got the ten questions. All right, okay, good, good. Hit me. So the number one is when you started learning and playing. What was the first thing that when you learned it, when when you got it down, you were so proud of yourself. But not only that, it really like set that hook. Like you can't believe you figured this out. I'll never do anything else for the rest of my life. This is this uh, this flipped I- the switch. Okay. I don't, I can't remember the lightning bolt moment. I, I'll be honest with you. I can't remember maybe Johnny be good or something like, cause I always liked, I like I liked the shuffle that, you know, like I like all that. You know, I liked all that stuff. So anything probably, it'd probably be stuff like that. I think it kind of is where it kicked in. I mean, I, I gotta be honest. I don't have a lightning bolt moment. I just know it was probably tied into something 
rock based, you know what I mean? That would be probably it. Okay. Okay. Well then what, what was the first solo from someone else that you ever learned note for note? Oh man. Uh, I, to be totally honest with you, I, I, <laughs> I was so bad. I got to be totally honest. I can't remember learning any solo ever note for note because I was so bad at it. And the best I could do is do my own version of it, which would be completely wrong and fucked up. Well, but, which was the first one you wanted to learn that just turned you out so much? You were like, oh, my God, you know, that solo or whatever. Probably be a Johnny Winter solo, probably, you know, something like that. You know, something like, I, I just, something, you know, something I just was, was beyond my pay grade. You know what I mean? It would have was to your be dad like, a big Johnny Winter guy? Uh, yeah, my dad was a big Johnny Winter. I was a big Johnny Winter guy. I liked, I liked the Johnny Winter Ann's era. I liked the early stuff. I like, you know, Still Alive and Well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I liked, because he was just, he was blue. I always listen. Clearly, with my name and all that stuff, the blues is for me is is the, is the building blocks, and that's that's the deal. It's never going to change from that. But I liked it with a little bit of gasoline on it. I liked the bare knuckle brawlers, and and I realized really early on that I was never and, and I you know I, I see it differently now a little bit because I'm older. Like the jazz was kind of the, more the 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 dissonant notes and the and the stuff in between. Whereas I went and, and this is what it, honestly here's what it all comes back to when I worked at that first music store they were jazzers. So they, they were like very highbrow about stuff. And so me yeah. being the fucking the upstart kid, I went the other way. I was like, fuck that shit. I'm all about the rock. So they would be jazz, jazz, jazz. And I'd be like, rock, rock, rock. And so it became like this line in the sand, which was, you know, it was, it was all in good fun. There was nothing ill will about it. It was just yeah. like, the more they'd be giving me shit, Hey, you need to listen to some Spyro Gyro. I'm like, you need to listen to, <laughs> you need to, listen to some fucking fair warning, bitch. You know There's what I mean? some and, so, and Spyro Gyro. Yeah, yeah. All that stuff. And that's what they were. So the more they pushed, the farther I went the other way. So I would say to answer your question, it would probably be like some Johnny winter solo. And I, I just don't have one. Like I, I remember trying to learn like, you know, killer queen or something like that. And I couldn't okay, get it right yeah. to save my life. I mean, it was, I was so bad at that stuff. I still am. I'm horrible at that. I think some Japanese, uh, this Japanese company hired me to do like highway star. Like, <laughs> I'm talking like maybe when I was like 20 something, like I'm, I'm well into my professional career. Eh, I was horrible. <laughs> like, I just couldn't, I just, you know, it's just not my thing. Unbelievable. You know, sad. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. What's the first thing you play every time you pick up a guitar? Do you have a little thing that just comes out the moment you, when you're trying out a guitar, when you just pick one up, just something that automatically happens? Okay. So if I'm just at home, because keep in mind, I don't play, I don't really play guitar that much anymore. I play to facilitate a studio thing. So there's no pressure on like, like for example, my hands are soft. I've got soft hands where you guys have, you guys have touring chops. I can get them back. They always come back, but it takes a minute. So in essence, I'm either, so, so, to, so it's a twofold question. If I'm in a store, like for example, if, we're, if I'm ever in a store and I, I'm only in a store to like look at a guitar to see what it sounds like. So I'll turn the guitar 100% clean and I'll start banging on it, something hard. So it'll always be like, you know. Something where I can really, you know. Something where I can really dig into the guitar and hear it because I know exactly what I'm looking for. I'm never in a store to play for the fun of playing because it's always awkward and there's always people looking. Always. And the downside is once you've done a record or two, like Josh Smith from you know, 16 year old Josh Smith can go in a store and people are like, Oh my God, who's that Josh Smith now with the rep you have now, now it's a different game. Now people are like, Oh, 
you know oh, dude it's terrible you pick up a guitar with fucking eights on it for me and i play 13 oh. and it's set up and it has no frets and you go to play and you can barely play it and everybody's looking at you like yeah. hey, listen to that yeah they want to take a video they, too and it's totally like, they dude i can't even the, play this guitar dude are told they pick out the fucking phone and they're like hey you know hey can we just get a little clip for our for our you know yeah. youtube channel you're like oh man so yeah. So anything I'm going to, so whenever I play anything, it's going to be something that's going to fall right back into like my box of tricks that always works. And right. the reason why I use them is just because exactly like you said, it's, it's the, because at the end of the day, you can't blame the tools. A professional, listen, at the end of the day, if I hire you and I hand you a guitar with eights, you're not going to be pleased, but you're going to get a result out of it that will be pleasant because you're an artist. That's what you do. That's your job. So the problem is, you know, there's so many variables. I will always default. Like whenever you see me playing in a store or somebody's got to come, it's always just going to be the standard bag because they're kind of like my default settings that I know will always work. I'm not going to take any chances because it's not about being inspired. It's about like, hey, let me get from point A to point B at this point. At least it is for me, keeping in mind that I haven't kept up to the level that a lot of people are because I just have, I'm, I'm frying bigger fish right now, to be totally honest with you. You know what sure. I mean? It's like my world is not... My, I, I mean, to be totally honest with you, <laughs> if you guys want to know the truth, when I bought my first house, I ended up selling every one of my guitars. I kept one guitar. I sold the both of them to like, like, I think like the Hard Rock Cafe and stuff like that. And I, at one point, I just kind of was done and wanted to walk out. I was kind of like over it. I had kind of seen, like I said, I, I knew how the movie was going to end. I had done all the guitar stuff. I had done the sessions. I had had the endorsements. I had done the touring and to be honest with you, I was kind of just disenchanted with it, to be real honest with you. I just was like, time to walk. And I was going to just go into something completely different. And then I, when I did that, I kind of needed to take that break. And it kind of like, you know, the, I realized, oh, that music passion is always going to be there. So then I just started reinventing myself. And so now the stuff I do is not, guitar is not my first weapon of choice. So I, I allocate the time accordingly. I think if I sat down and spent X amount of time brushing up on it. All the skills are there. I keep an eye on them, yeah. you know, but so that, that would hopefully be a really crappy long-winded answer to your question. All right. Okay. What key style song, whatever groove, what do you hear? Like when you're just, you know, mowing the grass or getting a drink from the fridge when you lay down, I know for me, you know, while even while we're talking, I'm hearing a shuffle and I'm hearing da -da 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 I'm hearing yeah. something swinging. It's probably in B flat most of the time. What do you hear when you're just when you've got nothing happening? What, uh, what kind of narration do you have going on? Okay, so my narration, if I so first of all, it's one of two things. So hopefully, it's nothing, and I'll tell you why. Because I'm inundated with music all day. I sit in front of those monitors. I'm always working on a project. There's never a day where I'm not. So to be honest with you, uh, if I'm having a good day, I kind of hear nothing, to be totally okay. honest with you. That's the best. Because it's, once again, if you make pizzas for a living and you come home and there's pizza on the table, if you're just a little less excited about it. Um, so the other part two to that question would be, I will probably end up hearing whatever project I'm immersed on. Meaning for me, uh, I'm a type of, I'm almost like, consider it like the best analogy I can give you is like a method actor. Like if I'm working on, let's say a punk rock project, I need to be breathing, living that world. I need to be in submersed because as simple as you think punk rock may be, it's not, do you know right. what I mean? To be a real deal, you know, just like people hear rap and they're like, it's just an eight and some rapping. It's not, you know what I mean? It's right. really, so the second part of that question is I'm either listening to whatever, whatever, whatever's on my plate at the moment is where I'm at. And the third part of the question, which is probably the part you want is it would definitely be a shuffle. And as far as a key, I don't really think keys because I, I'm untrained. I'm not a trained musician. So I just go with whatever sounds good and probably whatever I'm most comfortable playing on the guitar. So I don't, I don't, 
But you always yeah. gravitate to A, though. I hear it when you I, pick up a guitar. It's either A or E, just because I have twice the choice. I, e is easy because I have all the, you know, you have all the, or, you know, you're up there. So it, it's uh, just by default. I mean, I probably wouldn't go to like, a, you know, C or something like that, because it's like that weird in between, that half fret, you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you also have to realize the way I look at guitar is probably pretty basic compared to like the way you or, or, or a lot of people look at it now, because once again, you guys, I, here's, what it, here's what it feels like to me. It feels to me like kids today, when I say kids, meaning whoever's taking up guitar at the moment, uh, it feels like they're born with the playbook, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I didn't have the playbook, so I just kind of scattered. And, and, and here's the, the downside in the pro. Picture it like this. What if you had your skill set? That you, what if you had the Josh Smith skill set, right, that you have now, right? And then you could wake up tomorrow and it was on an Etch-A-Sketch and I could shake that Etch-A-Sketch and it would be nothing. So the downside is, well, you wouldn't have the rules that you know on guitar, like, you know, where you know, positioning is and what works and what doesn't work and how to play through chords. Mm-hmm. But the upside is you'd come into that thing fresh and every day would be a new adventure, a new treat. And so for me, the way I work is I'm the Etch-A-Sketch method. I kind of purposely didn't learn certain things and I kind of do it. Now there's a downside. It makes it a much slower process, but every time I come in, it's fresh, it's new, it's different. And that to me, it kind of feels like the David Bowie school of, you know, Hey, we're going to really immerse ourselves in this and try that. So I can't tell you which one's better or worse, depending on what you want. It's just the way I do it. So, uh, so that's probably a, a little insight to how I always approach everything. And I've been doing it that way since the beginning. I just start from scratch. I, I, I don't have to, I don't use templates. If that makes sense in life. I just kind of keep going. All right. Well, okay. So then as a guitar player, when you were, you know, you found your own voice pretty, pretty quickly. Was there a moment when you felt like you unlocked something and you knew you had found your own voice and you need to go further down that path? Like, was there something that like, you learned or stumbled upon and you were like, I need to develop that. That's me. I got to find me and that this is it. I'm finding it now. I'm going to go further that way. Yeah. So, so basically my answer is no. The crazy part is this. I've always just had this innate feel for what I think sounds good or doesn't sound good. And it's a curse to be honest with you. Like, uh, <laughs> like for example, I cannot go to a fucking NAMM show and listen to another guy play some botched version of a fucking Hendrix tune. I just, I can't do it anymore. Like the second I would pick up the guitar and play, I'd be like, this sounds awful. And the second it sounds awful, I'm uninspired and I don't want to be there. So I kind of just always uh, approached it a different way. Meaning like, so the way I got the sound that I kind of got, like the vibrato and all that stuff, which people seem to kind of zoom in on more than than other things was that because I was using those old guitars, like, you know, I'd use like an old Strat, like a 57 hardtail Strat thing. It was a nightmare to play. Like it did not play in tune and it had teeny little frets. And so basically I figured if this is, if this is a note I'm trying to bend up to, I could never quite, I'd get like, you know, ah, damn, I'd overshoot it or I'd undershoot it, you know? (laughs) So what I did is I realized, so here was basically my method. This is where I need to be. I, my chances of just hitting it, and it, even if I could hit it on like a Les Paul, maybe I wouldn't be able to hit it on a Strat. And the second I go to play in front of you on a, some Kramer, I'd you know, have a tremolo, so the second it would go flat and stuff. So I realized, okay, I get it. I'm never going to be able to just 10 out of 10 times hit this. You know what I mean? So if here's the note, I would just bend above and below, and I kind of just did that. So I kind of figured, hey, no matter what guitar I pick up, if it, everything is just... <laughs> I think you think you went dark dead. 
don't know. I'm on the far oh, angle now. I like it, dude. It makes it gets that fish eye lick. But that was how I did it. Your vibrato is ruling now. In, dude, in all and that, fairness. It just, that just came out of because I got tired of walking in stores and tanking it. You know what I mean? So before that, it was just, you know. And then once I started getting into it, then I started building on it. So then I realized, well, because I was kind of wild by nature, just kind of, you know, who I was a little bit with, cause I was just kind of, you know, was younger and just didn't. So I kind of would put that to guitar. So then I started doing all the overbending. So rather than just, you know, everything was like, you know, so I started doing all, and then with the bends, what I started getting was like a, I was like, man, I can get like four notes out of each bend. This is cool. So then I start doing the, you know, And I was trying to find all those weird, like odd in between notes. And so from there, I just kind of built and built and built. And that's how it kind of became. But I never, you got to keep in mind, most people are trying to like hear the Hendrix and trying to get to the Hendrix point. I knew day one, I was never, ever going to be able to do what that guy did. Just was never going to happen. The second he touched it, it was magic. And the second I touched it, it was never going to be magic. So I was, day one was like, I'm bailing on that because I'll never be able to do that so then i just focused on doing my own thing because that was the only thing i had left so i never hit there was never a moment where i found the thing and then ran with it it wasn't like you know once i found my 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 image i kind of went with it i never did that i just kind of consistently just tried to find something that sounded good you know and that's how i did it that's how i did all those guitar records all that stuff i would just kind of play stuff till it sounded good i knew when it sounded good and i knew when it sounded like garbage you know and so i would just spend the time really well, trying you, to, you were always just certain you sounded like yourself you weren't ever worried about that it wasn't a conscious I, thought no you know what I'm saying? it's not an option i don't have the option like i'll give you an example when i first came out i met dweezel when i came out here we were gonna play on a randy Rhodes thing you know he has the innate ability to be able to like to morph into whatever that character is like he like he would did the randy Rhodes. we were scheduled that's how we ended up becoming friends we were scheduled to play in the same song and so i came out here and so there's my choppy crappy version of the randy Rhodes. so he had his no for fucking no. I mean, literally, if you closed your eyes, you're like, oh my God, like, how did you even do that? Like, he has that ability. I've never had that ability. I tried to do Van Halen, couldn't do it. Tried to do ZZ Top, couldn't do it. So I don't, the only card I have to play is just doing what I do. The advantage was I kind of did my own thing. And it's funny, like, I'll even go on YouTube and watch people try and play my stuff. Ain't happening, dude. It's rough, you know? <laughs> so there's it's a pro and a con it's a curse and a blessing i guess depending on how you look at it you know what i mean yep. so if you like what i do then cool if you don't well then you know it, it goes that way but i there's no way like i hear the stuff you do and i i wouldn't even i wouldn't even pick that fight i would just go for a different i'd go a completely different direction because no matter how much time i put into it it would always just be a b brand version of what you're doing so why do that that was just kind of my thing. good answer man good answer all right What's your biggest weakness on the guitar? I, I'll tell you mine. It's a acoustic guitar, like uh, arpeggiating, finger picking, like pretty acoustic guitar. That's by far my kryptonite. Okay, so I'll give you a twofold one. So first of all, acoustic guitar, anything in acoustic guitar parentheses is my kryptonite. I don't understand how I can be like, pretty solid on electric in that bad <laughs> on acoustic. Like it's so hard, especially in the studio, because like 
you have to hit, you know, you got the oh. compressors going. And it's in the like, studio, every, that fucking microscope on the oh, acoustic guitar, it, oh, it drives me crazy. Scribble, and I realized, like, you know, acoustic, and I, and I will say this, anybody I've seen that plays amazing acoustic, not so great on electric, in all fairness, though. So let Except me, for let me, Dean Parks. Shout out Dean Parks. Nah, he's not even acoustic human. Session player he's I've not seen. even human, though. That guy, that, Dean's on a, Dean's, he gets a pass because he's just on a whole, you know, somebody hired me once, they called me and said, hey, we can't get Dean Parks. Uh, can you come do what Dean Parks does? <laughs> and I really need the money. And I said, no. <laughs> because why would I embarrass myself? He's outstanding. But, yeah. you know, they just play different. Like you have to pick your hands up. You don't get even a minor string squeak on a guitar is nothing. On acoustic, it just, it's, it's so brutal. So I would say my two weaknesses are anything acoustic guitar. So start there. And then I think what makes me, you know, kind of sound the way I sound on a guitar is a particular method. I think that's also my, it's my double-edged sword. I think my lack of theory or just lack of um, vocabulary on guitar, I think is a weakness. Like I, I admire seeing people that can walk up under any situation and kind of play through it. I, I'm not that person. I'm a specialty guy. I can definitely do what I do, I think really, really well. But if it's falls outside that, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even put myself in the ring for it. So but you could say it's a weakness and a strength because it makes you who you are and it makes what you play 100% honest, which I think is the biggest determining factor between if people get it or not. It's like when you listen to Johnny Guitar Watson or, or Magic Sam or Otis Rush, blues guys, that was the best of their ability, 100% honest. When you listen to guys now try to cop that shit and sound out of tune on purpose and do this, no, it's, yeah. so, it's a lie and it's, it's fake. It's a lie you know? and it's yeah. the worst. It's, and, I, and that's the thing. There's, and that's, I, and you know, funny, my dad was the guy that was like, listen, he says, you got to pick a lane, dude. You know what I mean? You can't be, you can't be Johnny Virtuoso in this lane and then trying to, you know, bang it out the blues over here. He says, you got to pick one. So I kind of found like a hybrid lane, but you're a hundred percent right. There's nothing worse than I see the guys, it's like wearing fake jeans. Like, I don't get that. Like, just if they're yeah. not like, you know, if you didn't put the wear on them, why would you want to wear them? I don't get it. You know what yeah, I mean? It's like getting credited for something you didn't do. And so it is, I mean, that's, I think you just nailed it on the head to be totally honest with you. Either you are or you're not, and you can't be both. You got to pick one. You know what I mean? It's like yep. these guys like, well, I'm great at everything. Yeah, but you don't really move the needle. You know what I mean? So it's kind of yep. like, yeah, I guess it is. You know, it's like, well, it's like Ikea furniture. It looks good, you know, I guess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, until you screw the screw through it. Yeah. Or, so you, or you spill a drink on it and it puffs up. You know what I mean? And you're like, <laughs> you know, or you go to sit on the couch after three days and you realize there's no foam, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, So, so I just made a call early on. I just, I picked a path and I went with it and there's pros and cons to it, but I'm good with it. Like I, I'm not going to try right. and compete with the, 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 the 2020 of, you know, of today. I'm just doing what I do. And it's, no one's no one so far has been able to do it the way I do it. That's a good thing, but that is a good it, thing. it, it is a thing. You got to want that thing, you know? All right. Who's a huge influence on you that people would be surprised to hear? Like someone that had a big influence that is from, from, you know, out in left field. Jimmy Smith keyboards. Okay. All right. Yeah. I see. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked Jimmy Smith, but that I didn't shuffle. know that. It's, that. it's that shuffle field. It's always the people, most people look at it's that, you it's that, it's that hop. It's that pop. It's that, it's that shuffle along. That to me is the whole show. It's, it's the what shuffle is the greatest thing Dude, in american music it's the, the greatest and here's the best part if you want to if you want if you want to clear a room full of girls play a shuffle man they are out. i mean it's so crazy but everything to me 
is even when I was doing, even on the early records, that, there was always that swing, that, that thing. Either you had it or you didn't. You couldn't. Dude, think about what's the first time you saw Satch on MTV? He's playing the freaking shuffle. Or shuffle, movie. right? You, you know, know who did, you know who had that down? And I'll never forget this. I, I did at the time didn't get how great Ginger Baker was as a drummer because at the time I, my head, I wasn't there. It's like, it's like, for example, you, I told you a story when I went and played with Les Paul and we had him sign a 59 Les Paul, yeah. record, you know, and to me it was just, ah, oh, fucking Les Paul doesn't have a tremolo. What am I going to do? Ah, you know what I mean? Like I didn't, I would have <laughs> traded that guitar for a Jackson on the spot. I was just, oh, you know, man. so yeah, because I just, you know, I didn't know any better and it didn't suit my purposes at the time. But the crazy part is, is that, um, the, the shuffle is, it, it's not the notes you play, it's almost what you don't play, and it's how you, it's that swing, it's that slip, it's the slide, that's the grease. That is, for me, what separates the, 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 the big boys from the big girls, or the big girls from the big, however it works there, you know Absolutely. I mean? You know, and I think a lot of players overlook that. I think a lot of people are always like, yeah, Van Halen with his rhythm, yeah, everybody's hip to that. Dude, it's, Van Halen plays shuffles, lots of them. Shuffles, you know I mean? how about, how about My favorite Fleetwood Mac song is a shuffle. Dude. journey shuffle every motown song half of them are shuffles my favorite one, you know it's like that's my shit it yeah. is but yet you can't it's funny in modern music there's no shuffles so it's no interesting shuffles. which is okay too listen I, I'm, I'm all for things moving on and, and trying different things so i'm a shuffle guy at heart that's kind of why i liked you know that's kind of like for example early zz top you know all that stuff oh, was all God, shuffle yeah. you know, he just had that you know yeah. which was which was an interesting point you brought up like i'll give you an example like we were talking earlier about bands and writers here's the deal you had a ton of southern rock bands but you only had one zz top because those boys wrote the tunes you know what i mean they had the songs and i'm not talking about when they got fancy in the mtv era stuff i'm talking about the early stuff they had you know whereas a lot of other bands you want to hear a great band there's a band called point blank and there's a record called the hard way it's got a bolt and a screw on the cover those guys, Southern Rock, and it's got a song called Thank You Mama Live. Oh my, I heard that record. I've stolen so much stuff off that record. <laughs> you know, you can go on YouTube. You could, I couldn't get it for years. A friend of mine, this guy, uh, Ron Scalari, actually ended up, uh, he ended up bringing me a copy because I told him in passing, I like it. You go back and listen to that record and it will all come into focus. You'll see where a lot of that stuff got, uh, got borrowed, you know. So a guy named Rusty Burns and Kim Davis, I think, were the two guitar players. Great guitar players. They're a very good yin and yang couple. And they both have that shuffle. So check nice. it out. All right. Um, would you rather have a great guitar and a shitty amp or a great amp and a shitty guitar? Ten days out of ten, great amp. Yep. A hundred percent I'm with you. Yeah. But that has not been everybody's answer so far. So it's been interesting. Well, you got to get new friends, dude. <laughs> I'm with you 100. percent I could be in my comfort. I could be in a more comfortable zone with a good amp and a piece of junk guitar than I can't be in a good comfort zone at all with a terrible amp and whatever guitar. It doesn't matter. So, so here's the deal. Remember, I told you I said at one point I just sold all my guitars because I was just done with it. Yeah. So of course, when I when I you know when I wised up and realized ah, I'm not done with it, I'm I'm in for life. You know, I had to go do sessions. So I would go down to Guitar Center. I would buy Squire Strats for 99 bucks, and I'd put stickers on the headstock. And I'd roll into sessions and, you know, I'd play them and the producer was like, yeah, I think sounds great. What is it? I'm like, oh, it's a really special guitar. What is that guitar? At the end of the session, I just give them the guitar. So I only had a hundred bucks into it. You know what I mean? And so, and then they'd, they'd be all excited and then they'd get home and realize it was a fucking squire. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so I did that for years because it, it doesn't, you know, and to be honest with you, listen, we've had this conversation, you know, I've heard you play on, on, you know, we've sat in guitar stores where, you know, 
couple hundred thousand dollars worth of guitars and we've played around in junkers. It really, to be totally honest with you, it really does not matter in at all, to be quite honest with you. I mean, the guitars, it does as far as comfort and listen, I don't play my Ernie balls by mistake. They're, they're, right. I feel they're some of the finest new stuff out there. And, you know, but let's be honest. I mean, you know, I'll pick up, I'll pick up any guitar, like, you know, I, I, you know, somebody gave me a Charvel in the corner. I'll play that if you want. If you want to hear it, it doesn't sound any different to me. You right, know, it yeah. all sounds the same. You know? Yeah, and there's certainly the personal aspect of what are you personally more comfortable with you're going to play better. Sure. But, you know, that's, again, yeah, you give me any guitar and my rig, my amp and my pedals that I'm used to, you're I'm going to give you a better performance yeah. than my guitar and a crate with yep. solid state reverb and, you know, like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Amps are totally over, just like speakers are overlooked. No one thinks to think about Dude, speakers. speakers. Is the last thing in the chain. It's the Huge. last thing before Huge. your ear hits, hears it. You know? Huge. And Huge. People don't think about it at all. They just nope. keep whatever comes in the amp. Don't, they don't even know. It's crazy. All right. Dude, what, what keeps you, I mean, I know you, it's your family and paying the bills and work. What keeps you, like, motivated to try to, like, grow at your craft. So maybe it's not as much playing as it is used to be for you. Maybe now it's learning new ways to write songs or learning new production methods. But what keeps you kind of pushing forward? Well, it's a twofold thing. To be totally honest, there's obviously the monetary issue, which I'm sorry, it's, it's always a fact. As you get older of and you course. have families and real deal bills and, you know, and real life situations come up, let's be honest, life is not, uh, life can be bumpy. You know, it's just, I'm sorry, but it is. So at the end of the day, you know, you did, it did the, the numbers are the numbers and that has to be straight. So that's definitely side A of it. So I would definitely, you know, and I, I don't know what ratio it is. Let's give it, I would say it's a big part, to be honest with you, for me, to be real honest with you guys. I and mean, that's just the truth of it. Um, but part B for me is I've been really lucky. I got locked in with this company called Extreme Music uh, way back in the day. And like, as they grew, I kind of grew with them. And, and what I like about that company is it's, it's, the, they're the top of the food chain now. Like they are the end. If you're going to go to production music for licensing TV and film, you're going to end up there. They're the, they're one of the smaller ones, but they just have the cream of the crop. And so what does it is being around people of that caliber. You know, like if I go over your house and I hear you do that, I'm like, well, geez, man, if he can do that, well, you know, I mean, you see somebody, it's almost like you see somebody jump off the cliff and they land it. You're like, all right, it's great. Okay. I know it can be done, you know? And so it's competitive. I mean, I'm, 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 I think I'm competitive and aggressive by nature more so than not, you know, not like I'm, you know, I'm not jumping out in traffic road rage style aggressive, but just aggressive. Like I just couldn't sit at home and let life pass me by. You know, I just, I have to go out there and do, you know, do whatever it is I can do to, to make my mark or, or make things better for my family or whatever. But part of it is being around people that are at the top and it makes me want to be better. I see people around me. It's like, you know, they elevate me. You know, when I see people like yourself, when I see people like, you know, like we were talking, like we've, we've always talked about like Eric Gales. I know you just did a record with him. I mean, yeah. you know, that's a dude that's just naturally gifted. You know what I mean? You see him and you're like, geez, you know what I mean? But you see it, you know, it can be done. So you want to take part of it. You're like, well, if he can do that, let me, ah, you know, I should be able to do something like that too, even though you're never going to be able to do what he does, but you know, it can be done. You know what I mean? And obviously it, it oh, yeah. feels like at least watching, it, it seems like it just comes effortless to him. I don't know if it does or doesn't, but um, it's, it's partially both. I mean, he's put in the work without question yeah. and he's grown, dude, he's grown tremendously over the last 20 years as a player compared to I where he it. was when he first came out. So he's put in the work, but of yeah. course, yeah, he's got something special in here. He's, yeah. He really he's got, does. but I mean, he's always had, it. I mean, we talked about that back in the day. I remember seeing when he was playing with his brothers, I'm like, who is this guy? Yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he was, it was bananas. Well, you know, I'll so. just say, 
we made I know we made the best record of his career and I'm excited for Dude, people I, to hear it. I'm I'm a fan. You know what I mean? I'm a fan of all parties involved, so I'm I'm quite excited, you know. And I know we've talked about like, you know, this is you know, make a record and be cool like this, you know, because we yep. just you know we can't help but look at it from a producer point of view and, and I'm quite excited. I know it's you know, I know if you're excited about it, then it's gonna it's gonna live up to the the hype. And I and I've talked to a couple people about it. Word's definitely out on it. So hopefully uh you know, hopefully it will it will do well for him. I, I want I want to see him make that arc. I want to see him. Get oh, the dude, we we were very invested in because we love him. Yeah. So we we put a shit ton of effort honestly, yeah, I believe it. into the project, I and it. I think it it paid off. Like we it worked. We're really yeah. excited. Actually, it's still. I mean, literally, we just did it over the last yeah. ten days, so it's not done. We still have some things to do, but yeah. uh, it's hard. Pretty damn feel- excited about it. Yeah, I'm sure. But, but like as we've discussed before, it's like you can take two great people, put them in a room. It doesn't. Sometimes it almost counteracts itself. It's weird. Music is a fickle mate. You know what I mean? It's very, very interesting how uh, how that stuff goes. But yeah, I'm excited. You know, want to hear? Want to hear him shred it up? Do his thing. All right, dude. Question ten. Yes, uh, give me. Where do you want to be in five years, man? Uh, I just want to be happy, to be honest. With you. I mean, if we're if we're all, you know, if I'm if I'm good and my my family's good, I'm I'm a simple guy that way. I, I don't. Uh, Is there a, a part of the business of music or something where you want to be and you're not yet? Like a goal? Is there something uh, you want to learn? Yeah, there's. Well, listen. I mean, to be totally honest with you, I, I feel like I'm a student of it every day. I don't ever feel like I wake up and have it ironed out. I feel like, man, there's so much room for improvement. You know, I'd like to be more. I'd like to be farther down the train financially. Would be obviously great and and doing well and having you know uh, that much more of a back catalog and, and doing well. Um, I don't really. I haven't really thought about like touring or playing or any of that stuff. It's so far from my world these days. You know what I mean? That I just, it's just not even on my radar to be honest with you. Do you think it's something you want to do sometime in the future again? Get on the road at at all? Nope. Never? No, I would never say never. I mean, you know, it would have to be a real particular set of circumstances. I think the part that people don't realize is touring. I mean, you realize it. We've talked about it. Touring is rough. It is hard. It's dangerous. You know, I mean, you're sitting on airplanes, and you're going, how many moving parts are in this thing? You know, you're watching the, the Leonard Skinner documentary as you're flying. You're going, I don't know, man, this is dicey. And then you're on a Florida coach and it's skidding across the ice on, in the winter. You know, it's like you, you've been there, you know, you get there and it's like, I don't, there's a lot of, a lot of moving parts to, to, to touring. It's a hard, rough life. And, and it's not necessarily the most conducive to family life a lot of times too. So no, no, not. I, I'm not saying no, I would never, I would never say never to anything, but I, I don't know. I think I'm a type of person that would, uh, you know, if there's a new challenge, I'm, I'm down for it. If somebody called me tomorrow and says, Hey, skip music for six months. Let's go do a TV show. I'd be like, all right, let's do it. I'd be into that. Cause it's a new challenge for me. I, I don't, I, I try not to stay so, so laser focused. Uh, whatever, yeah. whatever is exciting is, 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 is where you got me. You know what I mean? So that's what nice, I would do. Man. Well, dude, so we go. reached the end of the, the oh, 10 my questions. Goodness, you we did, did it. How? Oh. So for, uh, for members, we're going to make a little short video after this called Turn 2, where we're going to teach you two things. But for the rest of you, this is the end of the journey. So thank you, Blues. Uh, very it's welcome. been a pleasure, man. I, honestly, sure. if little me knew I was going to be friends with Blue Saraceno, he wouldn't believe me. You know, so it's uh, it's a pleasure, bro. Well, I listen. I, I really appreciate you thinking of me, and like I said, I'm I'm uh, super excited to do it. Hopefully, we didn't uh, we didn't uh, we didn't talk everybody to the ground, but uh, thank you. Now we're good. Cool.